As we prepare our hearts for the Lord to speak to us through His Word, Father, we are reminded from uh, uh, the little article on the front of the bulletin that to be a Christian is to realize that we cannot be a Christian in isolation, that to be a Christian is to identify ourselves in the house of worship with the people of God, singing songs of praise and uh, listening to the Word, engaging in the preaching moment, knowing that you speak where your Word is accurately uh, represented and exposited. Lord, when we gather on the corporate Lord's Day worship uh, as, as a church, Lord, we miss those that aren't with us. We, we think of those that uh, cannot be here, though they desire to be, whether it be those that are on vacation getting their batteries charged or, or uh, those that are on beds of illness and sick or those that were kept out late last night for, for work. We know that they would uh, rather be here fellowshipping with the saints, and we do pray that our fellowship uh, at fellowship dinner would be sweet as we interact with one another and encourage each other. God, would you speak to us through your word? We come, whether it be this weak preacher or weak listeners who are humbled enough to recognize our, our weakness our need for gospel grace, our need to hear from the living Word of God which works mightily in our midst. Use this special account in this little story of Ruth to convict us in areas of our lives that we need to be convicted and encourage us in areas where we need to be encouraged. Be glorified as we engage with Your Word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Though we pay much attention to the details of the worship service and in our planning and in our preparation with the songs and the prayers and what goes on in the worship service, there is a degree of which our hands do not have a part of in our preparation of the worship service often on the Lord's day, stuff that we have not scripted takes place. Often it's been with what, whoever teaches adult Sunday school that meshes with the worship service sermon or the musicians. And though John and I corresponded this morning in regards to some of the songs, some of the setup and the, and the, the uh, passages of Scripture were not scripted. And in God's providence, which we will pay homage to, uh, in God's providence, uh, the same scriptures and even the same responses, that of Naomi versus Job, were uh, what my thoughts were drawn to in kind of a setup for the sermon and an introduction. Periodically, I'll find some good articles. Well, I find them all over the internet from different uh, blog sites, whether somebody sends them to me or they're posted on Facebook. And uh, occasionally, I'll find them from a certified biblical counselor by the name of uh, Rick Thomas. And an article that kind of uh, drew my attention this week was one entitled, When God Does Not Come Through and You Do Not Get What You Want. And I thought, what, a, what a, an apropos little article was written that Naomi wished she'd been privy to when her world fell apart, when she lost her husband, she lost her kids, and she was in a foreign land. 
In this little article that uh, Rick wrote, he starts off with a few different accounts. One is Sherry, who took a shortcut to work, and after arriving on the company campus, she learned of an accident on her normal route. You see, a tractor trailer had overturned. No one was hurt, but traffic was stopped for three hours. And so she paused to thank God for directing her differently that morning. A gracious moment of providence of God in her life. How about Jared, who received an unexpected check in the mail for $3,500? It was an IRS oversight. Don't we wish that happened to us? <laughs> Jared was sharing with his small group how he and Jenny had prayed, asking the Lord to provide for a recent medical emergency. God came through for them. A third illustration in which William and Carolyn just came home from a fantastic honeymoon. Stars in her eyes, Carolyn floated into work the following Monday, and the Lord gave her exactly what she wanted, the man of her dreams. You know, for each of these three people in which God came through for them, I can think of individuals in our congregation in this past week where the alternate, the contrast, where in human terms, God has not come through. It's the exact opposite that's happened to them. Mature Christianity is when a person can see God working not just in the good times, but in the hardships of life. A classic passage in contrast to where we left Naomi in Ruth chapter 1, where she went out of the house of bread, a house of fullness, went to the foreign land of Moab with her husband to find food in a famine. She came back, and the, the ladies of the, of the city of Bethlehem, they were ecstatic. She's come home after 10 years. She said, no longer call me Ma uh, Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. I am bitter. She had an orthodox view of God that God is absolutely sovereign, but she needed to be clued in and filled in. She was rough around the edges that didn't realize that this sovereign God is a gracious and good God. And so, a contrast to Ruth 1 is Job 1 and verse number 21. Job comes to the table. God took away his health, his family, most of his family, and uh, at times he probably wished that uh, through the nagging of, of his wife that maybe the Lord had uh, relieved him of uh, other parts of the family, but... Uh, in Job's response to the negative outcomes that came into a life, into his life, his response to disappointment was astounding and ought to be convicted to the astute reader of Scripture. His response was not that of bitterness, but he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the chorus that we began our worship service with this morning. Do you remember the first time you read that passage? And the profundity, which still has a shaking reality in the world today, Job experienced an outcome that was the farthest thing from his expectations. After surveying the scene and processing the data, he began to praise God for the good and the bad that came into his life. Job's response has been God's healing 
when, uh, you know, and, and if I were to just summarize this article that I told you kind of gripped my heart this week, uh, Rick says, Job's response has been God's healing when the news came about the deaths of my two brothers. Job's response has been God's admonition when sitting at a traffic light that had interrupted my life. Job's response has been God's appeal when my wife and I were not getting along. Job's response has been God's hope when I was out of work with no opportunities on the horizon. How about you, follower of God? Do you find yourself in the lot of Job uh, with Mara, Naomi? The psalmist says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his steps. He, he breaks out in, in praise and worship. He says, I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging for bread. We could fill in with so many other biblical accounts, whether it be Job or, or David or other people written down in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11. I'd invite you this morning to learn from three scenes in which God is glorified and His followers experience His goodness. Three important realities for you and I to understand and implement that we might not waver and stumble. We got two widows who came home to Bethlehem after Naomi had gone out ten years ago. Went out full, but says God brought me back empty. They were in need of the basics of life when we find them here in, uh, in Ruth chapter 2. And I don't know what situation you either find yourself in today, the situation you have found yourself in history past, or what you need to tuck this message away for a not too distant future, maybe today or tomorrow as things change by the moment. I remember when this country bumpkin standing before you packed up my family of five and left the backwoods of Maine for Southern California for what we didn't know would be the next nine years of our life. And time doesn't allow me to share all the details of the depth of need nor the abundant manifestation of God's presence and provision. But what He did in our, in our lives was establish a track record of faithfulness in our own experience that was unrivaled to inspired Scripture that gives testimony after testimony of God's covenant faithfulness, His commitment to us and to His own name. Would you read the text with me? We find ourselves in Ruth chapter 2, act number 2 of this story that God has written in the life where boy meets girl. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Tuck that away because we're not going to hear much about him. This is just a setup in the story. In verse 2, we've got Ruth the Moabitess, the foreigner, who said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. 
Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And thus she came and and has remained from the morning until now. She's been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I've commanded the servants not to touch you. When you're thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father, your mother, in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to seek refuge. Then she said, I found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you've comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers. He served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You shall stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So in chapter 1, we have Ruth's decision to remain with Naomi. We looked at the sacrificial love of Ruth last week. In chapter 2 is Ruth's devotion to care for Naomi. So notice God at work as Ruth works. Three realities that we can learn among others of this text this morning. Reality number one in verses one through three, a God-guided happening. A God-guided happening. That word happening is essential. We cannot skip over that too quickly because when difficulty 
springs up in life. You need to remember God's in control, providentially working. So Ruth and Naomi get to Bethlehem. And Ruth immediately, without letting, the text reads on quickly as if she doesn't want any time to elapse and immediately volunteers to go and glean. But before she gets there, we're introduced to Boaz in this setup in verse 1 who isn't even developed in the plot yet. Boaz is a close relative, one who was a kinsman. There's discussion as to how close a relative, maybe he was a nephew, maybe as close as a brother of Elimelech, but at least they're of the same tribe. And the writer of this little romance of redemption in Ruth clues us into what kind of guy he is. He's a man of great wealth, literally a man of valor. This is translated man of valor in Judges in a couple of places when, when uh, Samuel speaks of, uh, of Gideon and Jephthah, they were each called a mighty warrior. So the understanding is that, the, the, that these, this term characterizes those who are capable, those who are efficient, those who are worthy in battle. So he was a man of outstanding quality. He's wealthy, he's influential, a man of power and prestige, a man of standing in his community. He's capable, and he's also leading an exemplary life. He is one who the Lord has given the ability to accumulate wealth. His fullness stands as the counterpart to Naomi's emptiness. So the contrast between riches and the status of Boaz and the poverty and vulnerability of not only Naomi. Naomi says, I came back home uh, empty, but how, do, how is Ruth constantly referred to in the text as a, as a Moabitess? She's, she's, uh, comes from a, she's a, a foreigner, one who worshipped pagan deities before. And so, she gives this request. She wants to go out and, and glean. And so, to help you step into the sandals of the day of a few thousand years ago uh, in this agrarian culture, fields like those elsewhere in, a- in the ancient Near East were carefully apportioned sections of a large tract of land. Land is a premium in Israel. If you've, ever, if you've never been there but at least seen... Uh, uh, pictures, there's, there's stories about how that uh, uh, they're good at growing one thing over there. It's rocks. It's a very rocky land. And so if you've got a good tract of land, you're going to use it to grow food. And uh, so any good land is, is partitioned up. One, uh, one individual might own several pieces of the community plot that are not adjacent to each other. And to make use of all available uh, square inch of land, there's, there's no visible fence and no boundaries because that takes up space that would be a good growing area. And uh, as you would, would grow a harvest, your reapers would go in, you'd, you'd grab the, the stalks with your left hand and you'd cut with a, with your, uh, with a sickle with your right hand. And, and when your armload of these sheaves was uh, too cumbersome, you would uh, lay it in, in a row for the women to come and tie it up in bundles. 
and gl- people could come along and they would, they would glean the leftovers, what your harvesters would leave behind and, and pick up the pieces. Now, my dad up in Maine has owned redemption centers for nearly 30 years. I used to run one of them for him. And automatically what came to mind is I think of people that gleaned the fields back then. I thought of people that collect aluminum cans. And what a way to eke out your existence when you're collecting bottles and cans to recycle. This is the picture of how hard life could be. Uh, for the poor and the outcast and the widows and the orphans. So the Mosaic law had a special provision. The people of Israel were commanded that the harvest cannot be reaped to its fullest potential. Don't get every scrid out of your field. Don't go to the corners. You could turn to passages uh, and, and find this in Leviticus 19 verses 9 and 10. These gleanings were just stalks of grain left after the first cutting. They were dedicated to the needy, especially the widows and orphans and strangers. In the Leviticus 23, in verse number 22, we are reminded of this clause in the Mosaic Law, this this gleaning clause. When you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord your God. You see, God's followers were to image Him. He takes care of the poor and the helpless and the needy. And if He is the Lord, His people were to be image bearers of His lavishness and His grace and His generosity. This same provision is found in Deuteronomy 24 as well. But we're told back in our text here in, Luke, uh, in, uh, in Ruth 2 that uh, it happened. Verse number 3. She happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to, Moet, uh, to, to Boaz. She wasn't waiting for Naomi to serve her. And she just, as luck would have it, you read that real quickly. And the, verse, verse 3 is providing a quick summary of the day with, with this string of verbs. It's, it's fast motion, getting her out in the field and, and uh, moving her from the city to the countryside. And if you were to take a little bit of time to trace this language throughout the Old Testament of to happen, or what is elsewhere in Scripture translated as to befall, or what we would look at as a chance event. Literally, when, when we are told that she happened to come to the portion of field belonging to this guy Boaz, it's, she fell into a fall. It's a play on words. Uh, this, her, her chance chanced upon. At first glance, you're reading through this great uh, account, this story of these, these ladies, and it seems like surprise. It just happened. But the further you read in this story and throughout Scripture, you understand this is hyperbole. 
A striking understatement intended to create the exact opposite. This girl didn't just have the luck of the draw to get in the right place at the right time because this, this hyperbole extends because she not only got to the right place of the field of, of Boaz, but she got there at the right time. Uh, later on, uh, we're introduced to, to Boaz came and he found her there waiting for, for uh, the uh, permission to go and reap. She just happened to find a section of field belonging to Boaz? I think not. We need to learn as astute students of the Hebrew Old Testament that Yahweh lurks in these places. The covenant-keeping, committed God to His people takes care of them. Within human luck is divine intentionality. Believer, you do well to observe similar accidents more closely to find the divine hand at work in your case and in mine. Knowing that those who leave everything in God's hand will eventually see God's hand in everything. God is indeed alive. He is involved. So she went. Not waiting for Naomi to to, uh, serve her. She takes initiative and, and we're told in this account she happened to come to Boaz as part of the field. Probably a community field where there's several other landowners, several other plots. This is a classic scriptural example of providence at work. And it's there for the watching eye, one in which the eyes of faith see God working out the details, though at times His work in it is, is hidden from our view. Scene two. Reality check number two, verses four through, eight, through, four through 17, a well-deserved kindness. We need to look for ministry opportunities of kindness because though God was providence and orchestrating all the events as the sovereign God that works everything according to His purpose, He uses means of His faithful servants, getting them to the right place to do the right thing for His honor and His praise and His glory. There are so many things in this, in this part of the story, verses 4 through 17, we, we can't pay attention to all of them. But you know, our, our eyes are brought to verse 5 that uh, you know, he, he, he starts asking the question, who's this, who's this gal? He takes notice. And in verse 8, he starts instructing what they are to do. He says to Ruth, uh, uh, don't glean anywhere else. I'll take care of you. And he doesn't just instruct Ruth, but in this account, he, in, he instructs the, the young men, stay away from her, hands off, boss's orders. You know, this, is, this is from a man who, who is possibly old enough to be her dad. He's between 45 and 55 as a contemporary of Elimelech, Naomi's husband who had died. I, you know, this, is, this is another part of God's grace that we could uh, wax eloquently on if we want. I remember the first church I pastored, uh, our church 
though it was Church of the Open Bible, they nicknamed us Church of the Cradle Robbers because there were such age gaps between these, these older guys and their young brides and whatnot. But this is a classic example of this, this guy that God has providentially brought to the right place. He had worked out the details so that he could accumulate wealth, and he used that wealth to take care of others, such as Ruth and her mother-in-law. So we can't move quickly past Boaz, this guy who actually owns the field, comes at the right time. Surprise? No. Coincidence? Following coincidence? No. That's why the author starts off verse 4 by saying, Now behold, drawing our attention, here he comes, ushered in by the hand of God. Further instruction down in verse 16, drop extras. Skip back to verse 12. Look at, look at how God starts to take care of those that take Him by faith. Remember uh, Ruth's commitment back in chapter 1? Her sister-in-law says to mother-in-law, who, remember mother-in-law's conversation with her girls? Go back home. Don't follow me. There's nothing but hopelessness and despair where I'm going. And so Orpah who becomes the foil of the story, the contrast, the opposite of Ruth, does go back home after bidden by mother-in-law to go there. But Ruth says, where you go, I'll go. Your God, my God. And it's till death us do part. She's committed. Sacrificial love on display. And so, in God's kindness, He starts working out the reward of that faithfulness. As she can't come to the one true God and and committed to Yahweh, notice verse 12, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. He recognizes you came here by faith. She'd come to seek refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. Classic biblical figurative language here, running all throughout Scripture. Just like a chick under the wings of its, of its mother hen. The psalmist picks up on this terminology. In, in Psalm 17, 8, he rests under the wings of the Most High God. In Psalm 57 and verse 1, when he's fleeing from Saul for his life and he's found hidden in a cave, he is sheltered under the wings of Yahweh where no man can touch. So Ruth launches off into a far land with her mother-in-law to Bethlehem. She was trusting in God's provision and that provision is finally coming about. We don't know what the time span is from the commitment to where God starts pouring in the reward for her faithfulness, but Boaz prays for the Lord to repay, to reward her. And what's interesting is what you have found out if you've walked with the Lord very long, as you're praying for God to take care of people in our midst at, uh, at Newtown Bible Church, you find occasionally that you become the answer to your own prayer. Boaz did. He'd soon become the means that God uses to answer that prayer. Sometimes God moves in your heart for you to be the answer, for you to be the provision. And the question is, are you listening? Are you learning and walking in line with faithful saints of God like, Mo, uh, like Boaz? 
And he continues the kindness. Not only does he pronounce blessing and seek God's provision, in in verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, sit at my table, dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. This was a delicacy of the day. Not everyone got to do this. Dip your piece in vinegar. She sat beside the reapers. He served her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied. And notice this, had some left, left over. How, how I have to restrain myself from running to the gospel accounts that shows our, our Savior walking through the land of Israel doing the same thing. Lavishness. He provided for people with just a little bread and a few fish and abundance. Like he'd always done, even in this account of Ruth, providing for a child of faith who had some left over. And towards the end of the chapter, when she's with mother-in-law, what's she doing? She's given her goodie bag, her doggy bag of take-home goodies from Boaz's table to share with her mother-in-law along with what she had gleaned in the, in the field through her own hard work. So he continues his kindness, giving, giving roasted grain a staple food in that day. And he instructs the guys that were reaping his field. Notice, this is spectacular. He says, deliberately drop handfuls of stalks so that it will provide for her in abundance. There is nothing in the law of Moses that says he had to do this. Nothing. Yes, yes uh, he wasn't to go to the edges and the corners of his field. But he wasn't say to drop extras off the wagon and off their arms. He wanted to make sure that what she picked up wasn't the mere minimal. He understood the spirit of the law. And I think this is interesting that we need to take note of. This is a natural response from a transformed heart. And again, what steps have you taken towards lavishness to show God's generosity. We're told in, uh, in verse number 17, so she gleaned in the field. This wasn't apart from her hard work. She beat out what she'd gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. An ephah is equal to about half a bushel. And the person telling you this, I had to go look this up because I'm not good with measurements. I'm asking Cindy and Adrian all the time about measurements in the kitchen. But uh, this is about half a bushel. It's an unusually generous amount for just one day of gleaning probably from all the extras that the guys were told by the boss man who owned the field, drop extras. It weighed anywhere from 30 to 40 pounds, enough food for several days. There's so much takeaway uh, in, in application as we think through the text. Are you on the lookout? Not only for ways in which we can bear God's image and generosity, but areas of stinginess in our lives. Always seeking to go over the top, above what's required. Cultivating a heart of generosity as we look to be faithful to God who does reward those who launch out in faith and obedience. Not giving to get, but to be like our Master. And this leads to the the fullness expressed in Ruth's return home with Naomi. Naomi says, stop calling me Naomi, call me Mara. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter because God has brought me back here empty. 
And Ruth comes home. She brings her doggy bag of goodies from Boaz's table along with all the extras that she had gleaned that day. And she ends Naomi's emptiness. She fills her, fills her older mother-in-law with anticipation and thankfulness and hope, leading us to the third act in this drama before us, verses 18 through 23, an expression of joy, an expression of joy. Beloved, when God provides, we need to be quick to count our blessings and not just sing about counting our blessings, name them one by one. We need to be quick to praise our God for His taking care of us. So, Ruth comes home, plus the gleanings, and she starts recounting how great her day was. Not only was it in what she brought home, but what she left in the field, namely a person named Boaz. Guess who I met? Ma? Boaz. So that brings us to verse 20. Naomi said to her, So uh, may he be blessed of the Lord who's not withdrawn his kindness to the living, to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. Oh, I didn't know that. He's one of our closest relatives. This is possibly the key verse to the book of Ruth. The kindness of a kinsman. Naomi begins to comprehend the sovereign working of God. What she didn't know that her mother-in-law filled in the details, though she experienced the provision, Naomi is starting to get clued in, wow, God really does care. God really does take care. God has orchestrated things to get her to the right field and meet the right person at the right time to take care of our needs. So she begins to comprehend the the sovereign working of God, which at times are hidden, as I've said earlier. He's faithfully working out covenant loyalty and loving kindness and mercy to her. Her, the undeserved, and the one who previously had accused him as the one who brought bitterness into her life. She was quick to accuse God of bringing bitterness and now is equally quick to attribute kindness to Him. This great kinsman-redeemer theme of Ruth begins here in chapter 2 and is fleshed out in the next couple of chapters. It won't come to fruition till later, but let me give you a peek into what, what God's going to do in the story. A close relative, a kinsman, could redeem several things, three of them that I'll bring your attention to. Number one, you could redeem a family member that is sold into slavery. Second of all, you could redeem land which needed to be sold if you're under financial hardship. And thirdly, you could redeem the family name by virtue of a Leverite marriage, which we will uh, learn about next week. You find this instruction in Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25. But suffice it to say this. Let's let's step back and big picture it. Step back and recall there are many Old Testament types. A lot of symbols. A lot of pictures. And every single one of them pointing forward to their... If you've got an Old Testament type, it's pointing forward to the New Testament anti-type. Their fulfillment the greater king. If you've got bad kings of Israel, like in the northern tribes that we learned about in our Scripture reading this morning, they're looking forward to 
the real king, the greater king. If you've got incomplete sacrifices offered over and over, they're looking forward to the once-for-all sacrifice offered through Christ. They're looking forward to substance and ultimate fulfillment. So this earthly custom too, this custom of redemption, of a kinsman redeemer, pictures the reality of God the Redeemer doing a greater work. If we had time, we'd trace this through the Old Testament, through the Psalms, and through Isaiah. Not only doing a greater work, but redeeming spiritually people who are in slavery to sin. So when we look back and we read time after time Israel's history log of how great an act God did in delivering His people out of bondage from Egypt land, a far greater deliverance was needed of their souls. No matter how bad the bondage Israel experienced in Egypt, they needed to be redeemed to become true Israel, true worshipers. They still needed to flee to God as a worshiper, as a follower of the one true God. Yes, there's, in the story of Ruth and Naomi, there's the pain, there's the prospect of no food, and the protection for these ladies who had been widowed was, was very grim. But that would have only lasted for a lifetime. Their eternity needed to be settled. There was a far greater protection and deliverance that needed to be made than that of hunger. They needed to be delivered from the wrath of God. So too, Boaz is a picture of Christ. It will be fleshed out in the next chapter, but through him Naomi is blessed. Her night of earthly doubt is starting to break into the dawn of new hope. She's learning this corollary truth that we learn in the New Testament, that God works all things together for good to them that love Him, to them that are called according to His purpose. Naomi, unlike what happened in the early church, became a widow who wasn't overlooked in the daily supply. Her evening of sorrow is finally dawning into a day of hope and joy. He who was the source of her sorrow, back in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, is now the source of her joy, because joy does come in the morning. So chapter 2 ends with this glimmer of hope, this transition from gloom to glory. It's good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of barley harvest. This could last for two months. She stayed for both the barley and the wheat. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So review these three scenarios, these three realities, child of God. You who know Christ, you have fled to Him for mercy. When everything's up in the air and you can't see straight and you wonder if God notices, remember that every event is a God-guided happening, to use the term that was used here in the account. 
It is under sovereign control as He providentially weaves the events together for His glory and for your good. Romans 8, 28 and 29 that you read in your Bible reading this, uh, we'll, we'll read this Wednesday morning or evening. Knowing that God's silence does not mean His absence. Why worry? Why be anxious about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink? Jesus said after those kind of anxieties, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, seek after. If I could borrow a a, a Tim Keller recent saying, who said, worry is not believing God will get it right, and bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. That was Naomi's plot in chapter 1, her plight, excuse me. She didn't believe that God got it right, but she's starting to learn that lesson. Remember number two, that He rewards faithfulness and lavishes kindness. Look for it. Look for Him in the details of life and live in a position of blessing. Live by obedience. Live in faith. Look for opportunity to be His hands and feet to other brothers and sisters in Christ. And would we learn thirdly to express great joy which cannot be taken away? That joy which is not based on happenstance or events or situations, but because we're rightly related to God. The one who has brought us near, who's changed our status from enemy to friend, who's adopted us into His forever family through faith, who's forgiven us as we turned from our sin and embraced the righteousness of Christ and Christ alone. Naomi's response to Boaz's kindness hints at this changing perspective. What she's learning to do is is focus on God as provider and the one who blesses. Bitterness seeming to recede as she views herself as recipient of blessing rather than a victim of divine disfavor. The light bulb comes on. All three are an application of being a doer of the Word, of doing as we, as I, uh, our daily Bible reading today in the New Testament was in Romans 6. And as Paul says in Romans 6, 19, that we are to be presenting ourselves as slaves of righteousness, that's what we do as we seek to obey these admonitions in Ruth chapter 2. Would you pray with me? Our God, we would humbly ask that any in our midst that do not know Christ would question and contemplate what it means to have their sins forgiven, what it means to flee to You from the wrath to come, what it means to have peace with God and the peace of God because we're at peace with You. Might we become more sanctified by Your Spirit and Your Word in the responses to the events of life, even that we, it would elicit attitudes of adoring worship and grateful service as we would seek to be tools of Your hands in the lives of other believers as Boaz was as a follower of God. Lord, we know that this account, this romance of redemption is, is not just a story. It's a true account of what you have done, what you continue to do in the lives of those who walk in obedience and faith. Might it be said of us that we are like Boaz, 
that we are emulating your generosity in the way we interact with each other, that we are like Ruth, launching out, rolling up our sleeves and working hard, knowing that it depends upon you working. We'll give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name, amen.